Hello and welcome to episode 75 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. I'm Anthony Malikian, U.S. Editor of Waters, and I'm joined by James Rundle, News Editor and Deputy Editor of Byside Technology. Hi, everyone. So today uh, we got a guest for you all. Um, in just a moment, we're going to bring on Viral Shah, who's out in Berkeley, California. Um, Viral is the co-creator of the Julia programming language and the co-founder and CEO of Julia Computing. And he's going to come on and just discuss um, some their recent release, uh, point zero point six of the language, um, as they gear up for 1.0, which they're hoping will be released uh, later this year. Um, so we're going to have him on in a minute. And then when we come back after that, uh, James and I, we're going to talk a little bit about artificial intelligence and alternative data and how that can play out um, going forward. Um, and he's going to look a little bit at the digital cur currency space. He's working on a feature about that. So we'll kind of uh, give a little bit of a preview on that. Um, but so before we get to all that, though, first we got viral up. Um, and then uh, join us back uh, about uh, seven minutes later or so. All right, and now I'm joined by co-founder and CEO of Julia Computing and a co-creator of the Julia Programming Language, uh, Viral Shaw. Uh, Viral, thank you for speaking with us today. Thank you. And Viral is right now out in Berkeley, California at this year's JuliaCon event. Uh, how are things going so far? Yeah, things are going great. This is, uh, you know, as, as it always is every year, the best JuliaCon so far. The quality of the talks is really high. And we have some amazing speakers and keynotes out here. Very good. So it, it, it's going very well. Thank you. And I know that when we spoke last year, uh, you were hopeful that Julia 1.0 uh, would be officially released at JuliaCon by JuliaCon. Are we there yet, or is that going to be coming out later on in the year? It is. Uh, we just ended up releasing Julia 0.6. Uh, the day before the conference, so 1.0 is going to be the next release, and uh, it does look like it's going to be closer to the end of this year. Okay, so you, you expect it by 2000, end of 2017, is it possible it might come out in 2018? Um, it's hard to say, but it does look like, yeah, we might be out by the end of this year. Okay, and so with uh, 0.6 that you just released um, at JuliaCon, what are some of the uh, enhancements that have been made, perhaps, from when we spoke uh, last uh, six months ago in December? Yeah, there's been a, a, a ton of enhancements in Julia 0.6. The biggest one is an overhaul of the type system uh, on which uh, Jeff Presenton actually presented a, a talk today. Um, so the type system has gone through a lot of improvements that makes it easier to write high-performance and cleaner programs in Julia now. And uh, this was sort of one of the big features that needed to come in for 1.0. So in some sense, we've done all the hard work for 1.0 in the 0.6 release now. There's tons of little changes and APIs uh, that have been updated that, that are very carefully documented now. Okay. Um, in our uh, release notes for someone who might be curious. Okay. And then um, earlier this week, it was announced uh, that Julia Computing had received uh, 4.6 million in seed funding from General Catalyst and Founder Collective. Going forward, as we march towards uh, the 1.0 release, what are some of the improvements that you're going to be looking to add that will be included in 1.0? And then going forward, uh, how will that kind of 4.6 million seed funding um, help to advance the cause of the Julia language community? 
Yes, so Julia Computing as a company is completely committed to the cause of the community. And, uh, you know, if anything, uh, this is going to only increase our open source contributions. Um, it will definitely help us get to 1.0 faster. Um, it will also help us sort of you know, build a better, sort of better tooling around the Julia language. Like we put up Julia Pro, which is a free download, uh, which combines the best of all the open source packages includes an atom-based editor called Juno and a debugger and a profiler and 150 of the best Julia packages out there in an easy-to-install, uh, you know, single download. And we hope to sort of make it easier for people to install Julia to improve the quality of the documentation, the, you know, the, usability, the usability and all that stuff. Um, so that's part of what the funding is going to be used for. Um, but, of course, you know, um, our investors are, are investing in a business that can become self-sustaining and will be, uh, you know, sort of providing products to customers and building a sustainable real business out of it. Sure. So that's where, uh, you know, the other part of our funds will be used is to actually focus in the world of finance and insurance and put together products um, in those spaces uh, that will, uh, you know, that will actually become a real business by themselves. And we already have some very early, um, you know, use cases and success stories on our website sure. uh, with, with insurance companies and financial institutions. So looking at the products, uh, so obviously, you know, we have the, we wrote a story about how firms are using it for modeling, managing risk, and deep analytics. Um, looking at some of those products that you'll right. be looking to release out to the, um, out to the finance and insurance community. Can you give us uh, some sort of insight, some ideas to what some of those products might be for, what, what, what you'll kind of be gearing on at first? Yes. Um, so we're seeing a huge traction for Julia amongst financial quants and actuaries, uh, specifically in the areas of uh, risk modeling, regulatory compliance, um, you know, the, the new accounting guidelines that are coming in. Um, you know, Basel III or Solvency II in the, in the, in the European countries. Basically, all of these are very model-heavy um, regulations which require um, financial institutions to do a lot more computation and uh, provide regulatory updates at a frequency much more than sort of the quarterly or the annual frequency they were used to. Mm -hmm. So that, that is kind of the natural fit for Julia because all these models are extremely mathematical. Um, they need a lot of high performance. Uh, they consume a lot of hardware. And, you know, they need to be programmed by the quants and the actuaries themselves, like people who are mathematicians and not like C++ programmers. So Julia turns out to sort of you know, perfectly fit into this niche uh, of, uh, you know, building these regulatory compliance models um, in, in, the, in, in all these various areas that I just highlighted. And uh, Julia Finn is one of the products that we've put out that helps with uh, a lot of this modeling. Um, and we are going to be re uh, releasing more and more capabilities into Julia Finn as we go along, okay. along these lines. Very good. All right. Uh, well, thanks for joining us as uh, Julia 1.0 is released. Hopefully we can have you back on the podcast to discuss um, some of those uh, upgrades that will be released with uh, that rollout. But uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Anthony. All right. And now we're back. Um, so that was some good input there from Viral, um, and again, uh, link to the story uh, about how 
many different firms in the capital market space are using the Julia program language as was expertly written by me. Yeah, some people have said it's the most read the story. The most in read story in the history of incisive media oh, for risk and waters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if I've ever mentioned that to anybody in the office or not. <laughs> I'm, it might have come up once or twice. Um, so let's start. Let's go AI and alternative data first. Yeah, let's talk about it. So a little while back, I spoke with um, Axel Piron over at OpenMoss uh, Consultancy. They had done some research, and they found that by 2020, um, investment alternative data sets will exceed $7 billion amongst uh, financial institutions um, as they try and find cutting-edge ways to seek alpha. And, you know, we were having the conversation more about you know, flash crashes and this idea of regulatory intervention being needed and to prevent other flash crashes. Um, he has an interesting theory that as firms get more used to use to building their own machine learning platforms and how they teach those platforms and then the type of data that they're going to be plugging in because flash crashes are, are happening because these algos, which many are off the shelf algos, generic algos, are all reacting to the same market data, the same market event, and it creates this herd mentality. Right, they're just dumb machines, essentially, right? So, exactly. So, yeah. um, so you have these huge spikes, and then everything returns to normal. As machine learning platforms become more prevalent um, on the trading side of, uh, of the equation, and as firms invest more and more in alternative data sets, how quickly that will happen is another thing that can kind of prevent uh, flash crashes from happening or it, it, it will be it will certainly create a different kind of market I guess. So it means the idea that the the algo the, the machine learning AI enhanced algo whatever then doesn't just follow the herd it looks at other data sets and makes its own decision on whether to sort of you know go with the trough or the peak or whatever. Yeah, I guess that if if if, if everybody's training their their, their systems differently mm-hmm. um, which would be a must, you know, which would be what you'd expect. Um, and the data sets that are being used, it's not just going to be market data and your standard reference data. Right. Um, it will be uh, these greater source of unstructured data from drone data, satellite imagery, um, sentiment analysis, social data, these kind of things. In theory, then, that will create a different kind of market, yeah. I guess. And so I guess so for our thing, one thing I've heard is that um, alternative data, AI and alternative data, one area uh, where it's most where it might really play out and have a good effect is on ESG data, um, environmental, social, and governance uh, data. Um, and I was just, have you given kind of any thought to, you know, we talk a lot about AI and we talk a lot about alternative data. The next thing is creating the peanut butter and jelly sandwich and putting those two things together, right? <laughs> right. Um, have you kind of heard anything? Do you think that there's any kind of interesting that maybe we should be keeping an eye out for? I think so, yeah. I mean, um, one of the things actually uh, I read recently was a, a research note from Goldman Sachs, uh, which came out last year. Um, There's by three of their portfolio quant managers talking about how they kind of blend alternative data analysis with machine learning um, to kind of inform their investment decisions so you know it's not the computer sitting in the corner blasting out trades but it's being sent through to the portfolio managers uh, and they'll look at things like not just stock prices rising and falling but kind of things like the momentum between companies as well so mm-hmm. you can kind of take one stock um, in say a car manufacturer or something now a portfolio manager might have 
an entire batch of these similar kind of you know engineering stocks where they look at but the idea being that the AI slash machine learning thing can piece together patterns more easily than a human can so sure. it will not just look at that it might look at things like um, aluminium suppliers or steel suppliers aluminum or in this the, country is well, how we pronounce it you yeah. change the spelling and it's incorrect <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to get off this high horse <laughs> it really really bothers me um, <laughs> But the idea being, it's kind of like a derivative, right? So you have the derivative and its price, but it's all made up of various different components. And look at it. Um, mm-hmm. So if you can apply that to a stock, so look at a phone manufacturer or something, or a toy manufacturer, you can look at things that are related to it and see maybe whether that's going to predict whether the stock increases or decreases. I think that's really cool, like yeah. that kind of stuff. And then for like supply chains, you have things like yeah, satellite imagery, car park usage. I think there was yeah. a recent IDM article about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it's all really quite cool, I think, and you need that to stitch it together. So. It is. It, there's going to be a lot of hype in this area. Right. Obviously, there's because in both areas, they have their own hype. AI and machine learning. Oh, our platforms are all artificially intelligent. Machine mm-hmm. learning. Are you really? You, are, is it really cognitive? I'm not so sure. Yeah. What IBM is doing, sure. I, I believe them. You, I don't know. So there's some company that they're well, touting their AI and machine learning, and I, I have my questions about it. There's a great line of the IDM article actually from this uh, guy at an $11 billion hedge fund who's yeah. heavily invested in all this stuff. Yeah. And uh, I assume Faye, the reporter, just said, so how much you made from it? He goes, well, we haven't actually got that much alpha from it yet. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. It's been really interesting. Though. And that's the thing. It's like all these things like, um, who is it? Uh, so uh, Faye, so the reporter for Inside Market, uh, Inside Data Management, um, it'll always be Inside Market Data to me. Yeah. Um, Wesley Chan of Acadian Asset Management. So they manage 77 billion in assets and they have two dozen researchers dedicated to finding new signals and alternative data sets. Uh, he had a good quote here and he said, uh, you're going to have to investigate 90 different things to get 10 that are good um, a lot of people who aren't used to those odds will walk away in disappointment thinking the whole thing is a failure. It's going to be a lot of waste. And I think that you're going to certainly see that everybody's going to be like, oh, you know what, maybe we should start investing in all these kind of data points and everything like that. There's so much noise out there that I think unless you have a real coherent strategy, yeah. you're just going to get mired in the mud. It reminds me of, I mean, we were at uh, TSAM yesterday and Bill Murphy from Blackstone was talking in one of the, the far side chats at the end and uh, they were talking about big data and yeah. about um, how firms invest in it and that kind of thing. And I think he was saying something along the lines of like, you know, for these real kind of like dreamer people, these real tech enabled funds, it's cool for them to take that kind of, you know, 10% chance that something might come out of it. But for a lot of traditional houses, it's dollars and cents, you know, kind of where's my return on investment for what I'm doing. Sure. So you kind of have to wonder if until it's really proven, and at which point it, I assume it becomes kind of useless because you've lost the edge, like, you know, is this gonna become a widespread practice or is it the preserve of these mathematic genius, you know, quant funds type people? Okay. Come in? Yeah. yeah, I mean, and Bill Murphy, of course, being a friend of the podcast. I mean, you yeah. haven't been around. I had to introduce uh, James to uh, Bill at the event yesterday as New Dan, basically. Yes, yeah, that was disconcerting because yeah. when I left Waters <laughs> the first time, I think Dan was New James. <laughs> yeah, you, <laughs> yeah. First, right? Yes. So it's, uh, just knew somebody else. I'm not very clever in my nicknames. That will, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing I want to touch on, um, you're going to be working on a larger feature looking at this, um, mm. but digital currencies. Yeah. So, Quantave? Am I pronouncing that right? I, I'm saying Quantave, I think. Quantave? Um, I'd like to say Quantave because it sounds... I mean, it just you know, sounds like great, a right, you know? great chocolate or something yeah, like that. Desperado is going to be So, they've entered into uh, closed beta yeah. um, with what you described as an uh, or ambitions to create regulated processes around Bitcoin trading. 
a little bit about that and then maybe why do you think that the digital currency space is so interesting right now? Right, yeah. So, I mean, what Quantave is doing is kind of part of a pattern of what a lot of people are trying to do right now is as Bitcoin and digital currencies have grown in popularity and, you know, I think the market cap, uh, sorry, the, the trading volume has shot up from four years ago. It used to be 50 million a day. Now it's something like, you know, 2 billion, 3 billion, 4 billion on big days. Um, but the market structure has problems. So one of the reasons you keep getting these issues and these horrible stories about hacks and things going wrong and what have you is because yeah. the market structure for digital currency, the exchange acts as the exchange, it also acts as the custodian of the assets, it also acts as a broker in some ways where it's facing its clients. Um, whereas in traditional asset classes, obviously those roles would be very much separated out and regulated separately. So you know your, your assets are safe with your custodian bank and the exchange handles the transaction and um, you know, your brokers are independent entities and regulated as such. Sure. Um, what they're trying to do and what a few other people are trying to do uh, are trying to build institutional processes from those traditional markets into digital assets and digital currencies so as to attract further institutional investment. So, uh, you know, there was some data from hedge funds uh, research, I think, that said in May a lot of the hedge funds that perform well, or the, the currency indexes at least, um, perform well because of their exposure to digital currencies because the volatility is just incredible. It's shot up in value. So people are interested in it, but what blocks them from doing that is the fact there is no real regulated intermediary in the space. There's no yeah. kind of real wraparound. It's kind of the Wild West in a lot of ways. Certainly. Um, so what I'm kind of interested in looking at really is, uh, you know, are people like what people like Quantave doing, people like Ledger X, people like everything else, is that just a kind of like an interesting sideshow? Or if they do succeed in putting these processes and this apparatus and this kind of regulatory wrapper in place um, does digital currency then become a bona fide asset class in its own right that people will be interested in trading in or are traditional buy side shops you know still not really that cool I mean there are a couple of funds out there that have a few hundred million um, yeah. but you haven't seen the likes of big currency dealers like Morgan Stanley or JP Morgan or even some of the bigger buy sides getting involved so that's kind of what I'm looking at um, if anybody has any thoughts on it then Feel free to get in touch. Uh, my email address. Him. Spam me. Yes, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> Ideally, buy side people. But you know, I'm happy to talk to some vendors as well. There's nothing about blockchain. The, the big the saving grace this feature is I'm not going to talk about distributed yes. ledgers. Blockchain, <laughs> we've written about. You can find many, many articles. Yeah. We've broken blockchain down. This will be just on the digital currency. Just on the side digital currency thing. front. So, but yeah, if anybody has any thoughts on what we just talked about, or you know, anything interesting, any case studies, any people for me to talk to, give me a shout. Yeah, um, definitely talk, to James. I find all this stuff fascinating, but I can't wrap my head around any of it. Um, Matt Lysing over at uh, Bloomberg had a really good article the recently. Ether thief, yeah, the it? ether. That's really good. Thief. It was yeah, really yeah. interesting, and I'm just like reading this. I'm like, why the hell is anybody investing? I don't understand. I don't. I'm an old man. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't like people in my yard. <laughs> um, so uh, we have uh, James' contact information um, on the page below, um, but it's james.rundle at incisivemedia.com. Yep. I'm, of course, anthony.malakian at incisivemedia.com. Um, before we go, Game of Thrones just put out a new trailer, a long trailer. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the big, Everything's uh, on fire, it seems, and everyone's dying. Um, isn't that every season? You know pretty I mean? much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's generally the last three episodes of each season, right? And then that kind of big long wait in between when nothing happens. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's cool. I mean, I fully admit that I haven't seen the last season of Game of Thrones because I've read the of, books. I've read the books, and that's why, because I had this kind of theory in my head that, you know what? 
I can just hold off for a couple of years. I'll read the books first, and I'll go back and watch it, and then quickly realise that he's not going to be hurried on it, and these books aren't going to come out in my lifetime. So um, I'm going to go back and watch the last season. This new one looks really, really fun. I'm like, it's the last season, right? Or is it the penultimate? Or is it I think it's penultimate. Yeah. Well, they're doing like one season, then like a f- six episodes or something else. Yeah, and then it's going to be something like that. With longer episodes, though, I think is how it's going to work. Yeah. And they're going to have a bunch of spin-offs probably for years and years and years to come. Right. Yeah, they'll just milk that until you just like... I, I just don't care anymore. Um, <laughs> I think that uh, one of the interesting things that I saw, so I, you know, I, I like to read true historical novels, you right. know. I mean, I, you know, Team of Rivals, reading about Lincoln, you know, stuff like that. I don't waste my time in fantasy oh, land like right. some yeah, people. Yeah, as well. yeah. um, but uh, so I never read the book, but one of the interesting things I saw, and so from here on, this is going to be a, you know, there could be spoilers involved here or theories, so don't listen anymore. I doubt that there's anybody listening right now anyway, but you know, just in case somebody <laughs> stayed through till the end. Um, one of the cool things I, I uh, heard about was in, the, you, in the, 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 this recent trailer came out, there's an image of a guy with his sword that catches on fire. And so from what I'm told, he's uh, uh, Beric Dondarrion. Yeah, which is, I mean, this is where reading these horrible you know, lowbrow fantasy books comes in handy when you're watching the yeah, show. Yeah, because, yeah. Uh, or I just have you read them, and then or, I just have, have explain them. Exactly. It to me. Yeah, yeah that's, that's kind of how it works on a lot of things. <laughs> it's, um, so he was in the books. He's a really cool character. So um, most people remember the the Red Wedding when uh, you know Rob sure. Snow, well, Rob Stark, sorry, was killed and uh, Mrs. Stark and whatever. Um, she survives in the books. Like she gets a throat cut. Um, She's in a bad way, but she actually survives and gets picked up by Beric Dondari. Great surgery surgeons back then, apparently. Incredible, yeah. yeah. Big cat gut and dreams. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't think there is something. I can't. It's been years since I read him. Um, I think maybe something mystical obviously happened there. Um, but uh, yeah, he's part of this group of outlaws who have a certain amount of immortality to them, and they're going after the Lannisters and trying to avenge the Starks and what have you, and right the wrongs of the mom. So. He was never in the books because obviously um, Catelyn Stark just died and that was it. So yeah. it'd be quite cool to see how they're going to figure in and obviously how they're changing the story from where it was in the books to kind of you know where it is now as two separate entities of the TV series. It's quite cool. And I yeah I was reading um, uh, something on Gizmodo or Deadspin um, or Gizmodo, one of those mm-hmm. um, those uh, Gawker publications, um, and it said that uh, Beric and the Hound that they're going to travel beyond the wall to try and capture a White Walker to bring to Cersei in order to convince her to send Lannister troops north to fight the army of ice zombies steadily creeping south. I mean, the one thing, so when it was R.R. Wright and everything and, and each season was based off of his books, it, I felt like sometimes it took so long to, oh, yeah. to, 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 they built something up, 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 and then finally they give you like the, the Episodes one and two would be awesome, and nine and ten would be awesome, or eight and nine would be awesome. Ten would kind of just be preview for the next one. Everything in between was just like build up. Last season, they just went to town. Every 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 episode, every I really episode enjoyed. Was just awesome. Because I mean, I remember season three uh, when I was convincing my flatmates, you have to watch the show. And they were just <laughs> like. Oh, please, I read historical books. I don't read horrible fantasy. I don't care about this. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I managed to force them to sit through season one and season two, and uh, I think it was season three. And uh, they were just like, I can't stand this anymore, Jim. It's rubbish. It's just people walking in every episode. That's all it is, walking or drinking or having sex with each other. Yeah. I don't want to watch it anymore, right? And I was like, Look, please, and this is the episode before the Red Wedding. Okay. Literally begging them to the point where I even locked the door and I was like, you're watching this episode. You're watching watch this episode. Watch the damn yeah. episode, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then afterwards, they're like, okay, I get it now. This is awesome. But yeah, um, 
I heard that that you know they had this big long gap in the season where nothing happens. They blow the budget in the last three, in the yeah. first two, right? Um, but yeah, I heard last season was pretty good for that. Just constant like minute by minute action and sort of going. Oh, with the truncated season, I think that this is going to be just all out. Yeah, I, I think it. I'm really, really. I can't even express how excited I am. But um, if you want some good. Uh, I've read a couple books, you know, real books, <laughs> not fantasy land books, okay? But uh, I got a couple for you. Uh, the Lost City of Z, um, about uh, explorers' travels looking for the Lost City of Z in the Amazon. Yep. Fascinating little book um, by David Gran. Um, David DeCock wrote, uh, or DeCock, I don't know. <laughs> D-E-K-O-K, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, about, he wrote a book about the fire underground. Um, it's about this fire that uh, we, we, you sent me an article about oh, the, Centralia. The, the Centralia, yeah, yeah. yeah. So this really is, it's in a, a town in Pennsylvania that a underground mine uh, caught on fire. It's just been burning for decades, and mm. it just flattened this town. No one's, basically no one's there. There's a few people left, but... Um, he does a real deep dive into that, so I, th- I found it fascinating because of that yeah, good article. I'd love to read that actually. And if you've ever played video games, that was apparently the inspiration for Silent, Silent Hill. Hill. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's a, we should probably actually link to that story as well. Yeah, if we do this because it's worth reading. I think just yeah. that, just that last graph at the end. Yeah. Like, oh man. It was such a good closer, yeah, yeah. man. It was a hammer. Yeah. And then uh, Sander Ben Sass, uh, he wrote um, a great uh, book, The Vanishing American Adult. And it's not this ah, kids these days suck kind of bucky. Right. You know, it's a real good intellectual deep dive into this. You know, this younger generation and millennial generation and what they expect out, what they expect to be kind of handed to them, what they're going to work for, kind of thing. It, it's a real good book. It's not a lot of politics in it at all, yeah. um, even though it's written by a Republican senator from uh, Nebraska. Um, but a real good thought provoke. So those are my book recommendations. You got anything that? Uh, well, just a little uh, tour de force called Starship Troopers by uh, Robert Heinlein. Starship <laughs> yeah, Troopers. This yeah, is uh, yeah. about Ronald Reagan and Star Wars. Yeah, it's about or the grief for our times and okay. the, the futility and the, the fallacy of war and how it affects ah. him. And um, yeah, I'm just rereading the classics at the moment. So that <laughs> um, the Forever War by Joe Haldeman, which is the more cerebral version of it. Um, Childhood End by Arthur C. Clarke. Uh, you're nodding away, and I can say you've got absolutely <laughs> no interest in reading this. <laughs> it's got aliens, yeah. and some of them got wizards, and it's cool. Well, hopefully we have a diverse audience, some that will like to read smart stuff and some that will like to read stupid stuff, so well, they can exactly listen to you on those and me on the others. Well, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> we can't all write the most well-read article in the Insights of Media History, so we have to escape Just saying, you know. <laughs> All right. Um, well, thank you all for listening. Uh, next week, we hope to have a very uh, special guest. I'm not going to jinx it, but he's one of my favorite uh, technologists um, in our industry. Um, real smart guy. Um, so hopefully he'll be able to make it on that one. If not, hopefully we'll have him on later on. Um, but so definitely check back in next week. Until then, Jimmy, got anything else? All right. Have a good day, y'all.